As I said, our our preaching passage this evening comes from Romans chapter 3. Please turn with me there in your Bibles. Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read just a few verses here, uh, a passage, a section of of, of verses that, that really summarize for us in a very concise and direct way. What is the gospel? What is the good news that we have received uh, by the, the prompting, by the enabling of God, a gospel which has transformed our lives uh, and made us right with God. Uh, Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 21, uh, reading through verse 26. And at, right before here, the, the verse prior to verse 21, Paul says this, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And then these next verses describe or explain for us how is it then that we can be right with God? And Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Well, it's alleged that Martin Luther was once approached by one of his members in his church and he was asked, Pastor, why is it that week after week all you ever preach to us is the gospel. Surely there must be something else that you could preach. And according to this story, at least, Luther responded to that question. He said, the reason I preach the gospel every week is because week after week you come here like those who have forgotten it. You walk into this place looking like people that don't believe the gospel. And until you come looking like people who are truly liberated by the truth of the gospel, I'm going to continue to preach it. Now, Luther probably didn't say that exactly, though he might have. What he had certainly wrote, what we know he wrote in one of his commentaries, has the same effect, however. In his Galatians commentary, he wrote this. He said, we should know the gospel. We should know it well. We should teach it to others. And in a very Luther fashion, he said, and we should beat it into their heads continually. Luther was certainly convinced that we can't hear the gospel preached too often. We never graduate from hearing the gospel proclaimed to us, and that is in part because we are prone to forget it. We're prone to to fail to understand the implications of the gospel for our lives. 
How often don't we come into the presence of God and our hearts are heavy, they're laden down with doubt, doubting that God can in fact forgive sinners, sinners like you, sinners like me. How often we fall into the mindset of thinking that God is is more accepting of us on our good days when obedience comes easily and less accepting of us on our bad days when, when sin has once again crept into our lives. And we forget the good news that God has provided a righteousness through His Son, Jesus Christ, that is sufficient once and for all to make us right before God now and forever. And so tonight we come to hear the gospel preached to us once again because we need it. We need to rehearse the good news that God's saving righteousness was revealed at the cross of Jesus Christ. At the crucifixion of Jesus where God's justice and His mercy kissed so that we could be right with God through faith apart from works. And that is the first thing that that Paul explains here for us in Romans chapter 3. He says that the the first ingredient of this good news is that we are right with God, we are declared right with Him, we are justified apart from our obedience to the law. He said this in verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. He says the same thing in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And again, a few verses down in verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. And to understand what Paul is saying here, why he's emphasizing that point, we would really need to go back and reread the first several chapters of Romans to to follow his argument up to this point. But I'll summarize for you tonight. In in chapters 1 and 2, Paul is, is playing the role of a prosecuting attorney, as it were. And he argues before God as the the great judge in his divine courtroom. He's arguing that we are all, all of us without exception, guilty according to the perfect standard of God's law. If we match our lives up against the moral commandments of God, we are all guilty. All people in every place stand guilty in God's courtroom of having violated His law, not just a few of those commandments, but in every single way. The law, Paul says, cannot fill us with confidence before God. If the law does anything with regard to our justification, it accuses us. It convicts us. It sentences us to death, not because the law is somehow inept or the law is flawed in some way. No, it it condemns us because we haven't obeyed it. And we haven't obeyed any of it. We think of the first side of God's law. It commands us to love God with our entire being. God says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And yet, even as sanctified believers, 
We often manage only a a small uh, portion of half-hearted obedience. Very often we don't have a sincere longing to be here in God's house every Lord's Day to, to diligently study His Word or to commune with God daily in prayer. We struggle with those things. And then there's the other half of the law, love your neighbor as yourself. How well have we done this week with that command? Have you perfectly searched out your neighbor to love them above yourself? Do you always use your tongue to build others up rather than tear them down? We could go on and on and on and enumerate the ways that the law exposes our sin. The law doesn't give us confidence before God. The law declares about us guilty as charged. The law passes down the sentence, guilty and worthy of death. And no matter how hard someone might try to be a a good moral person, Paul says every single one of us without exception have failed to live up to God's perfect standard. And that's why he says in verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified, declared righteous in the sight of God. Why? Because through the law comes knowledge of sin and the condemnation that our sins deserve. And that may seem like a strange way to to begin a message about the glory of the gospel, but it's an essential ingredient of understanding the glory and the hope of the gospel. We need to realize our condemned status before God under the law, first of all, so that we are not deceived into thinking that we can be righteous, that we can be acceptable before God upon the basis of what we do and who we are. The gospel strips us of our pride. It removes all self-confidence, all pretensions, and shows us that if we are going to be accepted before God, it cannot be on account of our supposed righteousness. Instead, if we're to be right before God, it must be based on the righteousness, the perfection of someone else. It's a righteousness revealed in the life and at the cross of Jesus Christ, where God Himself made a provision for sinners like you and me to stand rightly before God as our divine judge. And that's the fact, the marvelous fact that Paul unpacks here in verses 22 to 25 when he declares that we are made right with God, we're declared righteous, we're declared just in His sight by grace through faith. He says in verses 22 and following, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Now, Paul uses some fairly large theological words here, but I want to break them down for you. I want to give you a sense of what Paul is saying here. He's explaining the good news, the gospel of justification by grace through faith, and that good news amounts to this, very simply. We acknowledged already 
that we have sinned, we have fallen short of the glory of God, that a guilty verdict has been handed down, that the, the wages, the compensation of sin is death, and the law cannot help us be right with God. We've acknowledged that. And the glory of the gospel of what God has done is this, that God chose to do what the law, weakened by sin, could not do. God, the judge of all heaven and earth, declares us to be righteous in His sight. He hands down a not guilty sentence because He provided for us the best defense attorney that has ever lived. He gave us His Son, Jesus Christ, who has committed no sin, who before the law of God is flawless, the only man who ever kept God's law perfectly and completely. And this defense attorney, our Lord Jesus, stands in front of us with His arms stretched wide to shield us from the holy and perfect wrath of God when that sentence for sin is handed down. Judgment for sin must still take place. Someone is guilty for the sin. Someone must be punished for the sin. And that judgment does take place. And it took place when God, out of His love for us as sinners, put forward His own Son as a propitiation by His blood. Now, what does that word mean, propitiation? Sometimes we read it as atonement in other translations, but it's a perfectly wonderful word that we need to learn about. Propitiation simply means that Jesus' perfect death on the cross in our place as that once-for-all sacrificial lamb appeases God's wrath. Jesus, He put away God's wrath towards us. He, he covered over it. Our perfect defense attorney willingly put himself in our place and he took the penalty for our transgression in our place and God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. The precious, priceless blood of God's Son was shed for us, completely covering our sins on the seat of God's mercy. And all of this, Paul says, is a gift of pure grace, of God's undeserved favor, freely given without any regard for who we are or what we have done. It's not a matter of how hard we've worked, not a matter of how intelligent we are, how moral we think we've been. It's totally based on Christ's work for you. And that means that this great salvation, this redemption from sin and death, this new status of being righteous or justified before God is never something that can be earned either in whole or in part. It can only be received with the empty hands of faith. Paul says later in Ephesians 2.8 that, that by this, this means or instrument of faith, which is also a gift from God, not something we contribute. We simply receive the free gift of the complete and eternal forgiveness of our sins, which Christ accomplished on the cross for us. And so now for the sinner, there is a delightful melody that rings in our ears, and it's the melody of not guilty, 
but regarded as righteous in the sight of God, not because of who you are, not because of what you have done, but totally because of what Christ has done for you. That's the best news in the world. That's the heart of the gospel. It's the main hinge upon which our faith turns, that you and I, by grace through faith, have been, have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and for that reason alone, we are acceptable, we are pleasing to God forever and ever. Our Heidelberg Catechism declares this with such wonderful words, comforting words. I'd like you to turn in your, your pew uh, hymnals, the Trinity Psalter hymnal, into the back to page 882. Lord's Day 9, excuse me, not Lord's Day 9. I want you to turn to question and answer 60 of Lord's Day 23. Lord's Day 23, question 60, asks this, this wonderful question, this, this key critical question, how are you righteous before God? And the answer, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. That even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace. God grants, He credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. How then does God see us? As if I had never sinned or been a sinner. And not just that, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. Christ takes the punishment and He grants us His righteousness. That is the good news of the gospel. And Paul says finally that in this work of redemption, not only do we experience the full and free forgiveness of our sins, but the character of God is most magnified and announced to the world. Look what he says finally here in verses 25 and 26. This was to show, verse 25, the second half of it, this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul says this glorious work of salvation exalts God for who He is. By providing this redemption through Christ's propitiation on the cross, God demonstrates the perfection and the glory of who He is. He demonstrates both His love and His mercy, as well as His justice and His righteousness at the same time without compromising His character. It's essential that we understand that. It's essential we hold on to that because so many teachers and pastors in the broader evangelical church today are getting this wrong. They are getting the character of God wrong as it relates to the accomplishment of our salvation. You probably have heard, maybe you've read in a devotional or some other such book, that God's love and grace for sinners had to overcome His standards of righteousness and justice 
in order to save the lost. There are many who talk about God as if there were this great conflict within Him, within His very nature, between His love and His justice, between His mercy and His righteousness, and, and, and the two are constantly in conflict. They're in battle with one another, and finally, love won. And so God was able to save us. That image of God couldn't be further from the truth. And it's not good news either. Because a God who is so internally conflicted, a God who can change, a God who can compromise His character, is not a God to be trusted let alone, for anything, let alone our salvation. No, God didn't compromise His character one bit when He saved us. Paul says He remains both just and merciful. He is both just and righteous, holding to His perfect eternal standard, and He is the one who justifies, declares sinners righteous. How can He do that? Well, He remains just in Himself because He, in fact, satisfied His holiness. God didn't lower His standards when He saved us. God didn't brush our sins under the rug and, and just forget about them and not deal with them. He satisfied His holy standards. Christ did that. Christ perfectly fulfilled the law. He died in a cursed death on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. God's wrath was appeased. But He can also be the merciful justifier of sinners because of what Jesus accomplished. He earned a righteousness, not a righteousness that Jesus needs since He is in Himself righteous, a righteousness that He gifts to us. He, he credits to us so that when God looks at you, He sees you as one who is worthy of love for the sake of Christ, His Son. That's the marvelous nature of the gospel, friends, that at the cross, God's love and His justice met. His mercy and His righteousness kissed, and the glorious result is that you and I are accepted by Him forever as children, as those who are heirs of all of His glorious riches of salvation, and we can always know the certainty and the assurance of this truth it's the assurance that Luther and Calvin and so many of the reformers rediscovered for the church. It's true as it is now as it was then. Because of what God says about sinners does not change. That's the good news of the gospel. But that, that word of good news obligates us to respond. The gospel also calls us to respond. It calls us to put our faith in this Jesus Christ for the complete forgiveness of our sins and not remain in our sin or think that we can work our way to God by our efforts. The gospel calls us to, to relinquish any confidence in our obedience if we think that by our moral living we will somehow work our way up to a right standing before God. The gospel calls us to understand that on our good days, when obedience comes easily, that obedience does not make us more pleasing to God, more righteous in His sight. It's simply evidence, a natural outworking of the Spirit's presence in your life. 
And the gospel helps us understand and calls us to realize that on our bad days, when obedience is so hard to come by, that we are just as pleasing in God's sight because of the obedience of another, the obedience of Jesus. So, dear saints, embrace the gospel. Believe it by faith and embrace the call of the gospel as well and build your hope on nothing else than the blood and the righteousness of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank You for this glorious message, this truth upon which our faith turns, this main hinge upon which our faith revolves, this glorious news that though we are sinners by nature, all of us have failed to fulfill Your law. We have, by omission and commission, violated Your moral standards, not just some, but all of them in every way. Still, You declare us to be right in Your sight because You have imputed to us the righteousness of another, our Lord Jesus Christ. And You satisfied Your justice by imputing to Him the judgment for our sin that we were worthy to bear. Now, Lord, this glorious exchange fills us with awe, fills us with wonder. We cannot begin to plumb the depths of the wisdom of Your plan of redemption, but we can glory in what we have come to know and experience. And we pray that our lives would be spent responding to the call of the gospel, to daily put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins in order to be right with God, that we would spend our lives putting to death any sort of works righteousness that would complicate our service to You. Help us to rest in this glorious salvation we have in Jesus Christ, which is full and free and complete. And help us to know that You will never drudge the sea of forgetfulness to place our sins before us ever again. And so let us move forward in this race, casting our eyes, focusing our attention on the founder and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. In His name we pray. Amen.